Hello, listeners. Yamina here. Welcome to the Dr. GPCR podcast. Before we dive into this episode, we have a few announcements to make. The program of the third edition of the Dr. GPCR Summit is taking shape. Our confirmed speakers include Drs. Andrew Tobin, Ryan Roth, Rosie DeWalibi, Karen Gregory, Oliver Hartley, Ines Liebscher, Christelle Manet, and many more. This year, the meeting will be held between October 10th and the 16th. The meeting will be virtual to allow you to join us from anywhere in the world. Live talks will be hosted on Zoom from October 10th to the 15th, and everyone is welcome to participate by presenting a poster or submitting a pre-recorded talk. Similarly to last year, we will have presentation prizes for trainees. We're also trying out a few new things as well. We'll have networking and poster sessions on Wonder. We'll also have a full day dedicated to trainees. If you're a trainee, hurry up and submit your abstract today to give a talk or potentially present a poster. Visit drgpcr.com summit today. We will also be hosting three workshops. We're excited to share that we'll have Dr. Sam Hoare and Dr. Luciana Leo, who will run a workshop on data analysis. Dr. Nicola Smith will host a workshop on how to preserve data integrity in the lab. And this year, we welcome back the GPCR DB team with Dr. David Gloriam, Dr. Albert Quistra, Gaspar Nandi Sekeres, and Jimmy Caroli. Everyone is welcome to attend the summit. And it's free when you become a Dr. GPCR ecosystem site member, which is also free. Speaking of the ecosystem, we are excited to share that the Dr. GPCR Ecosystem 2.0 platform is now open. Visit drgpcr.com to explore the ecosystem today. Please note that we are slowly migrating from our old website to our new website. You'll always be able to find us at drgpcr.com, and we thank you for your patience during this transition period. The ecosystem, if you're wondering, is your GPCR-focused virtual playground. Join over 75 of your peers who have already registered as site members. Remember, it's free. You'll also have the option to select a plan and get access to all things Dr. GPCR and much more. You get access to the new podcast episodes with video before they get released to the general public. Our new group discussions and forums, our job board, our learning center, where you'll be able to take a course or even prepare and share a course with your colleagues. And last but not least, you'll be able to discover GPCR companies and much more. Take advantage of everything that the new GPCR-dedicated online playground has to offer today by visiting drgpcr.com and becoming a site member. Remember, it's free. Once you are a site member, you can also choose to sign up for an ambassador program, which means that you'll able you'll get your own dedicated Dr. GPCR ecosystem link. And every time someone subscribes using your link, for a year, you'll get compensated. Last but not least, we're also looking for content creators. Subscribe to the ecosystem and start writing your own GPCR-focused content. Share it and show off your talents. You can always reach us at hello at drgpcr.com or visit drgpcr.com to find out more about all our activities. And now, let's dive into this episode. from Dr. GPCR and this morning, very early on this morning in July, I'm excited to have with me uh, Dr. Bianca Plouffe. Hi Bianca, how are you? Hello, fine. <laughs> that 
that's so cool to be uh, on a, a podcast. That's that's my first time, so I, I kind of feel like a superstar. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sh- well, I don't know. I, I I was gonna say you should, but I don't know. I think I'm. I feel like I I feel humble to have you and have everyone who's been on the podcast before, mm. and I think. Everyone who's been on this podcast was it was their first as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, and as I had mentioned, someone we're not going to say who didn't even know what a podcast was. So, <laughs> I think it's uh, it's us bringing, um, you know, bringing everybody into the twenty first century, but also to capture something of, you know, scientific rigor and scientific ingenuity in in a different manner. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you so so much for uh, and inviting me. That's that's a nice ex- experience. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for being here. So let's start at the beginning. Would you please give us an introduction of who you are and uh, what do you do? Okay, so who who I am? Uh, in fact, so I'm um, uh, first. I'm I'm Canadian. Uh, I come from a, a little town. Uh, between Montreal and uh, Quebec City, so I'm from Trois Rivières. Uh, yeah, so my my English is not my first language, uh, but it's so. not mine either. <laughs> it's not mine either. Uh, but still, uh, yeah. So, but since I'm um, I'm a little girl, like I've I've always been um, fascinated by everything uh, about like the, the nature, like how things work and why things are the, the way they are. And yeah, so I, I pretty think that I was born with like, like a big curiosity, like, uh, and I was asking always questions, like <laughs> my, my mom, they, they didn't know the answer, but yeah, she, she enjoyed to like hear that I I want to know like why the the, the sky is blue. <laughs> so um, obviously, uh, I really like at school uh, everything about science. So uh, so I did my undergrad in um, biochemistry at the University of Sherbrooke. Uh, then I uh, did a, a, a master in f- physiology uh, in the de- department of f- physiology. So my project just br- briefly was to a bit um, un- understand um, how um, the angiotensin type 2 re- receptor co- contribute to the um, neuron growth. Um, so we knew that uh, it's through act- activation of ERK pa- pathway, uh, but this receptor alone cannot activate ERK. So we uh, d- discovered that um, 82, so um, angiotensin type 2 re- receptor, um, activate track A, which is, um, in fact, NGF re- receptor. Mm-hmm. So that way uh, we can still, uh, we can see a elongation of the generite, which is equivalent of the accent um, of the, the cells. So after that, I wanted to be uh, to go a, a bit more hardcore in, in neuroscience because I, I really loved it. 
so I moved uh, to University of Ottawa to work on the dopaminergic D1 and D5 re receptors. So my project was in fact uh, to find uh, why dopamine D1 receptor is sensitized by protein kinase C and why a very similar receptor coupled to the same uh, G protein, GS, so D5, was desensitized um, by uh, the, the same pro 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 protein. So, um, so I, I worked during five years and I find like some, in fact, phosphorylation residues into the third intracellular uh, loop of the, the D5 receptor, which is not in the D1 re receptor. Um, and then that's during their, their five, these five years that, uh, in fact, I learned to speak English more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ottawa. Although it's not yeah. the best environment because there's this, this mix yeah. of French and... We find a lot of like Franklish. <laughs> yes. Yes, that, that yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the the number of times that I learned some kids like start starting a, a sentence in English and finishing in French, um, but still, uh, there's a lot of people there that uh, don't speak French, so you're kind of forced to speak English, and all the the courses uh, were in English. Um, so at the beginning, it. It was a bit challenging, but I kind of adapted quite fast and ha had to learn fast. <laughs> so, yeah, but in, in science, like the words in, in English and French are similar. So, yeah, um, yeah. so this was not too dif difficult. So after that, um, I wanted to do a, a, a postdoc and as I love G GPCRs, <laughs> I want to tell. <laughs> uh, as I love G GPCRs, um, I wanted to go in a lab, uh, which are like space specialized in GPCRs, and I wanted to learn um, new tool to st study uh, GPCR signaling. Uh, so um, I asked Michel Bouvier uh, to do a, a postdoc there. Uh, I was quite persistent at that time he didn't have any like available project funding and mm -hmm. and a couple of month, months ago I was still asking and fi finally um he said yes uh I I have a project and I'm lo looking for a, a postdoc now so oh yeah <laughs> I moved them uh and I um I sent some fellowship up application and I got funded so I was quite lucky because uh during my po postdoc um I had like two faith fellowships so wow. it allowed me to stick there six years <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah the this environment was so good it, it's it's like a little fa family uh all yeah. all the people that are there are like they they like what they do and i think it's because michelle is so um imeg is like uh is is science is love for the the science quite con contagious yeah. and it kind of spread in all the teams so yeah so that was a good time 
uh, of, of, of my life, I have to say. But after six years of postdoc, you start to think to do. <laughs> like, yeah, you should... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you should grow up at some point. <laughs> yes. So then, um, yeah, so in in my postdoc, uh, ba- ba- basically I had the chance to work on a lot of pro- pro- projects uh, together uh, because, yeah, I I learned the basically breadth uh, assays, how, how it works and all that. So uh, these tools are so con- con- convenient because it's so fast. It's so quick to get the answer. So you transfect the cells the first day and you do your experiment two days after and you can look like a bunch of things you can look at demerization activation of g protein uh where you want in the cells and yeah but by a signaling with different drugs so it's it's so polyvalent um uh, this tech technology so yeah so I had a chance to work on a lot of pro- project my first one my main one I, I have to say um, so I worked uh, specifically on may let an type 2 receptor mm-hmm. um, so the 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 bias signaling because um, there are a lot of SNPs in the po- population for this receptor and some SNPs uh, are associated to higher chance to de- develop type 2 di- diabetes. So we wanted to un- understand um, which uh, signaling pa- pathway uh, con- like pro- protects, again, um, type 2 di- di- diabetes. So the, this project was uh, in collaboration with uh, the lab of Ralph Jokers in France. So yeah, so we care rectalized like for forty SNPs and and found some very very uh, cool SNPs that uh, you you have a se- se- selective loss of beta arrestin recruitment or a, a selective loss of GI activation over GZ. So then um, we went more like stru- structural uh, side of the project and try to explain um structurally uh what we found with with the snip so that was quite cool um and then i had this uh opportunity i think i was in my second year of postdoc or third year so michelle um he had this request uh from but Bob Lefkowitz to um, to work on a project um, about the possibility that uh, G protein um, simultaneously with the beta arrestin can bind on a re- receptor. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was like a com- uh, a concept quite weird because um, we thought that. Um, Beta arrestin warning binds at the re- receptor cord. It dis- desensitizes, so we could not understand why. Like we would be able to see um, G protein and the beta arrestin we could bind on the re- receptor. Yep. So um, that's what quite weird. So um, so 
yeah, so we kind of, so he asked me if I want to co collaborate uh, with them. So I said, yes, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting idea. Uh, you know, thinking because sequentially you you think about the events as ligand binds, G protein dissociates, GRK phosphorylates, and then beta restin gets um, yeah. recruited. But who knows? Crazy ideas. Yeah. But they're worth testing. <laughs> yeah, and spe especially because um, there are some receptors that have a very high affinity for beta arrestin, like. Um, Vasopressin type two receptors. Mm -hmm. So, and strangely, those those re receptors. So this one specifically um, is able to activate GS in the endosome. So, and so, how come we we could have the the binding of beta arrestin on the receptor and another side the receptor able to. Yeah activate G protein. So it, it was a bit um, ch challenging, but then, uh, so that the concept of me Megaflex was, uh, was born. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's due to the fact that um, these uh, re receptor that has a very high affinity for beta arrestin, it's because they have uh, under CTL, they have a lot of uh, clusters of um, phosphorylation site. Mm -hmm. So beta arrestin is able to bind just on the CTL and let the re receptor core uh, available uh, for yeah, G, G protein uh, coupling. So yeah, and um, so yeah, so that was a bit, um, I, I would say uh, my ground, breaking paper mm -hmm. uh, if, if you want to say and as I worked a lot on the project um I had um I had the chance to to be co-first co author with uh Alex Thompson from mm -hmm. uh, Levkowitz lab so it opens me like quite big door <laughs> yeah like so yeah, so after that pa pa paper, uh, I said, okay, uh, I think it will help me um, to find um, a po position as an independent re researcher. So, mm -hmm. so he here we come. I was open to go uh, ab abroad because all my life I was uh, always. Um, quite at the same place, like in the east of Canada. I didn't mm -hmm. move so much. I changed university like uh, three Nothing. times. <laughs> like, but, oh. <laughs> but it was uh, all, always at the same like uh, place in, in Canada. So I said, okay, well, why, why not? So I, I applied, of course, in Ca Canada too. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of positions uh, in the United States as well. So United States was not my first choice, though. But I said, OK, I have not, nothing to lose. So every yeah. uh, pos position that I think would be a good match with my ex expertise, mm -hmm. um, I applied to. Uh, so at the end, um, 
I had an offer uh, from Queen's University in Belfast. So I say, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Quite different from, from Sherbrooke, Ottawa, Montreal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the, the env environment is totally different. So I say, okay, why, uh, why, why not? So I had the choice to go in another interview, um, but I said, okay, so I have that. And I think, yeah, I had the chance uh, to go like uh, in the West of Canada, but it's like still Canada. You go, <laughs> if you fly it, if you fly uh, yeah. to Alberta, yes, if you fly to U UK, it's it's quite yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah, same same amount of time for sure, and so it's a different different environment. Yes. So I said, okay, so cool. Okay, so I I I will go there. So I I accepted. Uh, so I started here um, November two thousand eighteen. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had an offer as a. Vice Chancellor's Fellow, which is a kind of, uh, it, it, it's like a ju junior PI mm -hmm. uh, in this, the system of U UK. Um, and yeah, the, there was like, uh, okay, so if you pass your, your pro probation, um, you be become like a lecturer. And then after that, you can con continue re reader. Mm -hmm. Uh, say, saying you're like a lecturer, reader, professor, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I said, okay, I I will um, I will go there and start my own lab. Uh, I had this naive idea that when you start a lab, oh, it's cool because you have a lot of, of people that can work for you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then you realize that you have a couple of walls, some money, and no one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I kind of hit a wall. I say, okay. So first is like the difficult to find some some people because you are not known, so you yeah. don't have a name yet. So in fact, the the student or the postdoc, so they don't know know, know you. So so you don't have a lot of uh, people that will like ask you, oh, okay, can I come okay. to 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 your your lab? So so yeah, so it's it it's it's the difficult to find. Um, I had another challenge too because um, Belfast. I I would I would uh, say Northern Ireland are very very strong in uh, ev everything about vi virology. Mm -hmm. um, Infectiology, um, uh, bac bacterial and, and infection, mm -hmm. but um, but when you talk about GPCRs, this what is GPCR? <laughs> okay, so you had an extra challenge there. Okay, okay. Did yeah. uh, did having published that paper with the Lefkowitz lab, you know, help well, not yeah. only get get the position, but also later on recruit a little bit people. Uh, I would say uh, recruit people, no, because uh, the students here, um, they barely know what are GGPCR, so they they don't know the field in, in any way. But it 
definitely contributed to have the position, even mm -hmm. if it should not, because um, in in my opinion, and I think this is the way it should be, but in reality, it's not the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like it's not if you have a paper in cell that you are be better uh, re researcher than someone yeah. who has like two two GBCs. Yeah. See, it's but um, between the line. Yeah, know. I mean, yeah, and it's something that um, Stuart Mosley and I talked about. It, you know, how success is measured. You know, um, and and you're right, having two good GBCs and a cell. Yeah, <laughs> is know. unfortunately, and you put in the same effort because it's your work. You're passionate about it, mm -hmm. and I want to say sometimes the two JBCs are such strong and significant pieces of work, but people don't see JBC. People see cell or yeah. nature, but it's not better because it's in cells. The 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 yeah. research is not better because it, it's yeah. in cells. So yeah. unfortunately, that's the way it works. Uh, yes. It's not the way that you hear it works, but in yeah. theory, it doesn't work like that. But in practice, in practice I think yeah. I I think that I had a lot of chance because of that. I'm quite uh, lucky because I know a lot of pe people who, after the postdoc, try to find a position in ac academia uh to be a pi and it takes years and years and it's it's very com competitive mm -hmm. i think i think that help it um helped me a lot too is that um i was open to go ab abroad yeah that's important for for sure um i would have liked a lot like to stay in my little <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> trois rivières quebec montreal um Yes, um, but I think uh, to open you more doors, I think yeah, it's 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 wise to um, to to leave the door open to go ab abroad, yeah. and and I still don't really regret my 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 choice. Awesome, uh, awesome. I was just gonna. I was just gonna take you way back to the beginning. I didn't want to interrupt you because uh, you know your story sounds so interesting. Um, you mentioned, you know, as a little girl, really being interested in everything and asking your mom all of these questions, which I can, I can understand how annoying that can be. But at the same time, you tell yourself, "Oh, the child is interested in interesting stuff." <laughs> um, and you also mentioned that you you knew that science was going to be it for you because mm -hmm. it fed that curiosity that you had or you have. Um, did you know that, did you very early on figure out if it was biology, chemistry, physics, would, did you have any preferences? Uh, I say, um, and I still love everything. I love a lot, uh, as, as astronomy, physics, ma mathematics, but I'm not especially good in that. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I love to watch a lot of the document uh, theories about uh, physics, and it's it's so like it. It's such a weird world. It's um, it's just the how, how re reality is is made. Like this re reality that we cannot see with our yeah. um, five sen senses, you, you know. 
uh yeah i i love that a lot i still love a lot but uh physics mathematics were not like my my very strong um um i would say in this course i was not like for performing as well than in mm-hmm. biology so for me to go in more by bio chemistry was more na- natural uh because i guess it fits with the way that my brain works so I yeah. don't know. <laughs> so uh but still so yeah it's 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 just because it was easier and more na- natural for mm-hmm. me to go uh to to look at more the um, interface between bi- biology and K chemistry, uh, but yeah, uh, it's not because I don't like the other uh, science yeah, sciences at all. <laughs> did you know you wanted to be a research scientist, or did you have anything specific that you wanted to be as a child, or maybe a teenager? Uh, you you see, the weird thing is that I didn't have a clear idea. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really know that you can do a job by being like re- researcher. Yeah. I was, all I have in my mind was like Einstein and <laughs> like the, the, they are at their desk and they think. And so as a kid, I, I didn't have, I didn't have like a clear idea where uh, I will go, but I did want to um, include science for sure in my uh, life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then after that, um, I thought about may- maybe medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, like all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like a lot of us, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I I thought about it and, and I asked to, to myself, is it? Is it because uh, I would be more proud of my of myself if I would be a a a, a doctor, or is it really what I want to do? Mm-hmm. And you you know, so I asked to to myself, yeah, but okay, you uh, as an M- MD, you apply uh, the the science, yeah. So and what I liked uh, the most is to try to find the an- answers. Uh, like the why, how, and yeah. so I think I don't think it's for me. And to to be honest, I think I I I made a good choice because I I think that I wouldn't like to have like patient one after the other <laughs> all yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you need to I, have. I'm sorry. Oh no, that's okay. No, I was just gonna say I think you need to have a different mindset when you're a medical doctor yes no yes. it's 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 different and I think for me I did apply for med school did not get in but it was more of a family related pressure and I was relieved that I didn't get in um but I think uh, the one of the reasons why I feel like I would have not made a good doctor is because I would have connected too much emotionally with my patients mm-hmm. And the emotional toll would just, would have just, you know, and I think as a medical doctor, you need to have that ability to distance yourself and treat, I don't want to say treat people um, 
like like customers but if you if you invest yourself emotionally over and over and over again it's a difficult thing and i have a lot of respect for mds i have tremendous respect for those who actually have both sides you know can are md phd's and they oh, do yeah. research and see patients i think that's a totally different species when you think about yeah. different snips somewhere <laughs> Yes, yes. But yeah, that's um, that's another re- reason, in fact, that I didn't go to do um, uh, MD degree because I think I would have found I would have found uh, difficult to deal with the emotions a lot. I'm extremely uh, emotional and I can feel like every little pain that the people have around me and it's heavy <laughs> yes yes so it is. I need more like a, a, a bubble my my little cave <laughs> yeah to think so I think being a re- researcher um is more uh for my myself it it mm-hmm. it sticks more to my kind of personality yeah. um it, it it would have been the, the difficult to deal with uh, all anxiety of the patient and yeah. yeah you make a good point about you know knowing what fits you yes what who you are and what do you need mm. to do that and i think that's important especially for trainees who listen to this episode to very early on ask yourself who am I? What do I like? What don't I like? Mm-hmm. Because that's also very important to figure out what is it that you can take. Yes. And then create yourself that environment like you did, knowing that this is my limit. This is what I'm actually good at. Love physics, not a physicist, <laughs> um, but still love physics, but uh, science and biology and biochemistry is what I like to do. Yeah. I think the key is to choose um, to choose a work in which you will be uh, happy. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's difficult because, you know, it's easier said than done because sometimes you won't know it until you tried it. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. I think as a student, at least I had the pressure, I don't know about you, but I had this pressure of, I have to find out what works, what I like, what I want to do for the next 30 years right now. And if I don't, it's the end of the world. But I think it comes from from that French French Canadian culture, you know, the rigidity of the system, you know, because it's a, a linear road that you're supposed to be taking, but it's not. <laughs> I I don't think this is especially French Canadian to be. A, I think it's honest. it's French. I think it's the the système français, the French system. At least that's 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 how I feel. But hey, uh. I I don't think that I agree with that. Like, I start to learn more and more about the 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 UK systems, system. and I I see, I still think it's worse. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the kids they're so young, and so they have um, so they do their un- undergrad, so three years. Uh, if they have good grades, they can uh, start P- PhD. So they can skip them the master. Mm-hmm. And the PhD is just three years. 
Wow. Uh, yeah. So and um, so it's super short. Uh, so they have to f- figure out fast what what they like. So in UK, it's not rare to have a P- PhD student that's like twenty five. Done. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of time postdoc could be short too, like two years. And yeah, so everything is con- condensed. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, at the end of the PhD, they don't require you to have a, a paper. Yeah. Because yeah, three years is, is too long and you can and you have to uh, plan like approximately yeah. like six months to write. Not three yes. to six months. It took uh, me six uh the thesis here is not that thick okay. <laughs> so, so you can do it in, th- in three months uh wow. it's possible but um but still you have to like in the two years and a half that you did some experiment well you don't have a, a, a master and you don't have this type of um co-op program in undergrad so Mm -hmm. a lot of students who start the phd here they never touch to a a pipette oh god okay so they have to learn so they have to go through the 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 learning curve very fast because they have to generate a result to put in their uh, thesis so i would say they learn experimentally that the first year they try wow. to shoot a lot. And then after that, they have another year and a half to do everything. And then they, they write. It's super short. So, and that's the same thing at um, like a high, a high, high school, which they call here secondary school. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to choose their option. They have those A, a levels. That it's extremely stressful for for the kids. Wow. Uh, they have to have good grades to go at the school that they want. So it's it's really com- competitive and stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, like I saw both s- system. I still think uh, North American s- system is a bit easier. And more supple in in term of choice option, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and because um, in your gra- gra- graduate school you can have more time, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can spend more than three three years on a PhD, so you have time to explore, and at the end, I think, um, oh, and. Another the difference too that um, I learned fast is that uh, so you 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 know that when you do a PhD in North America so if if you do like a PhD uh, in in neuroscience you will have some courses uh, some like lectures and yeah. exam and all that. Uh, while the uh, PhD in in UK usually they don't have this. So it's lab work. Yeah, but they don't have this, um, uh, like these courses, mm-hmm. like more spe- spe- specialized, like yeah. lectures and all that. They still have to give like seminars and, and like that. But it's, wow. uh, but I can understand because if they just have three years, uh, yeah. yes, they they have to. 
So everything is is condensed. Wow, it sounds very stressful just hearing about it. It is because yeah. no, I think. Please go ahead. No, no, I no, I, I tend to cut sometimes. No, no, no worries. Sorry for that. I'm sorry. No, so I was I was just gonna say I think um you know I yeah it sounds very stressful because very quickly very early on you need to figure out left or right ahead or not and I think at least it took me a while to learn to pipette. And we had the lab course at the University of Montreal during my undergrad. Mm -hmm. And then you had an opportunity to work in the summer in a lab. Mm -hmm. And then I did a master's because I wasn't sure if I wanted to do a PhD. And within the master's, there were courses as well. Um, And I spent more time in the lab, so I didn't perform well in the courses. So I didn't have the, uh, the grades to go directly to a PhD. So I had to go through the mm-hmm. exercise. And for a long time, I thought, oh my God, I'm so bad at this. But looking back, having to write the, the, the master's thesis and having to go through those steps really prepared me for the PhD. Yes, it does help a lot. Yeah. And I can say that from the moment I started my master's to or until I got to, I want to say the second almost a year before I started writing my PhD thesis, I I can look back and feel like the gradual, you know, increase in knowledge and confidence. And to the point where at the, towards the end of my PhD, my last paper during my PhD was, I kind of took charge of the questions. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I, I got to a point where I had to convince my PI, no, this is the question we need to ask. And yeah. we ended up asking the question and it ended up being a great little paper. I, I'm saying little, it, it was a molecular pharmacology of which I'm super proud because the reviewers had zero negative comments. That's which rare. I think It is super rare. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have the comments saved. Some, someday I'm going to laminate them because that was just, you know, wow, like this, but, and I could have graduated a year sooner because I had the two papers that you need to graduate from your PhD, but I had started this project and I tell myself, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm really interested in this question. So I'm going to stay an additional year. Mm -hmm. So I I understand like the, the stressfulness of, you know, getting out very quickly, three years done, and then you're kind of doing a master's that's that kind of level compared to the North American. What I would have liked to see in the French Canadian or the Quebecois system, or even in Canada, I don't know if it exists in Canada, is something that happens here in the US where students get get to rotate in different labs. Yeah, rotations, no. No, we don't usually have that in Canada. No, no. Um, Same thing then here, we don't usually do that. I'm not familiar still with uh, and and land. Maybe they do that. Uh, Don't know. But, yeah, but I so, think that's priceless. I think that is priceless. I mm-hmm. see. I saw here in the U.S. Uh, you know, students who were deciding which PhD program or which lab they wanted to do their PhD in, and so the first I think year or maybe two years, they had classes mm-hmm. and they did at least two to three rotations. Yeah. And that gives you time as, as a human to kind of figure out, is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this the right lab for me? Uh, You know, does, do I, you know, do I get the support that I need from the PI? But in order to 
kind of answer those questions, you yourself have to figure out what kind of support you need. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's that's a very good thing. Um, I had a bit this experience, though, when I was in undergrad. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was in a um, co-op pro program. So how it works is that you have a, a semester of uh, course, re regular course, and then you have a semester uh, a four-month tra tra training in a lab. So you work okay. on a, a, a project. Then you come back four months uh, of courses, four months, nice. you work in a lab, you have a, a, a project. So if you want, you have like three opportunities in your own undergrad to, do, to go on in three different labs. That's great. So you can know a bit what you like and when you don't like the techniques that you like to do, the one that are more challenging for you. Uh, but you also have the option if you really love your 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 first experience there, then you stick there for the two other <laughs> nice um, like um, an internship. So at the mm -hmm. end of the un, un undergrad, you have like one year experience in 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 lab, which is very good. I think well, it's significant. After, yeah. So when you start a PhD, you already have like a good. Yeah. Um, a experimental um experience, experience you don't yeah. necessarily have i would say uh you're not able i think yes uh yet to put your re re research in context mm -hmm. this takes more years i i i think yeah. uh so you you start to de develop that in in, yeah. in the phd uh and you perfect that in the, the, the postdoc as well. But as you said, you said something that I, I really found cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when you uh, when you when you had to write, it's when you re really like matured um, yeah. and intellectually, yeah, you you mastered more your your project. Uh, yeah, this it's it. It's true. When you have to write about your own things, uh, you have to read a lot about okay what others did to put your re research in in context. Yeah. Uh, so it's it, it's like a, a learning curve, and and the joy that I had, um, like I have my first uh, PhD stu student that will. Uh, graduate next year and i really saw this cute evolution <laughs> yeah. so at the beginning she was like mixing up the, the concept she didn't really know why we do that and then um so it each uh each year so they have to write like a, a report and mm -hmm. they have their committee uh so so it forces her to read, like to ask questions. So I really saw the evolution. So she's now at her third year and the way she thinks is really um, different yeah. <laughs> than the first year. And I really love to see this evolution. Uh, yes, but I think it, I think you, as a PI, you have to, and, and invest enough time 
to have the chance to re really see that in in three years because as i said i find it's too short <laughs> it's very short with that limited amount of research experience you know if you had to go through a master's which is two or three years and then you could do three rotations like in your co-op program then the three years phd is not i mean it's still short let's agree on that for all of us who did five plus years um <laughs> you know because you need to mature you need to mature yeah. as a human you need to mature as a scientist and it's not only on you sometimes sometimes it's how lucky you are with your projects uh how much oh, yeah. uh, attention you get from your boss Because yeah, well, if yeah. there's 20 of you, you get less attention than if there were just two of you. Exactly. Yes. I think, yeah, I I think the PI has a, a very big responsibility in that. So, and sp especially here because it's so short. So you cannot let your stu student tr troubleshoot for six months al al alone. So, yeah. As there's yeah. not a lot of time, so you have to be a bit more uh, close to the work that is done, yeah. and and through the troubleshooting, you kind of teach uh, how how to think, <laughs> think, yeah, how to doubt about facts that you you take as yeah that. So it's yeah. not because you see a paper and the people did that and they got the result that it's necessarily applicable in all the, the contexts. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so a big thing about, I think, maturity uh, as a, a student or as a, a postdoc or even... As even a PI yeah. <laughs> too, yeah. Uh, it's to learn to doubt about the, the results, to doubt about your own data and to doubt about other results too. Yeah. Because you know, like, like me, that unfortunately, I think there's a lot of uh, artifacts uh, that are pu published. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of time, it's, it's not that, okay, the PI want to cheat to to show no. it's because they did not um saw like the raw da data or they missed a, a detail from the, the student the, the student didn't do it the right way and they got the results or so i think you sh we should not take everything that is is pub published as gra granted yeah. uh, i think the um, the more trust you can put it's more in the meta and an analysis yeah. so that like re regroup like a lot of of studies who look at the same thing so if you have a lot of researcher that come up with the same conclusion yeah. then you can trust but when you start as a as a young student you think that okay everything is true <laughs> especially if it's been published in a high you know high impact yeah. journal and but it's not yeah. true and i think it goes back to maturity it goes back to also giving yourself time and your pi to show you because for example i remember i don't know if it was masters or phd but i remember that we had classes where you were given any paper and you had to take it apart Yes, that was difficult. <laughs> I, I think so too. It was very difficult. And I think, and, or you had to pick a paper 
and then you had to take it apart. And when I say take it apart, it's not necessarily, you know, critique it in a negative manner, but really being as objective as possible mm-hmm. yeah. and look at every piece of data and say, okay, so this is the data. This is what they've done based on what they reported. Mm-hmm. And these are the controls that they use and ask the question, are these the right controls? Are these enough controls? Did we, did they, could have they done another experiment to confirm this one with another technique? You know, you mentioned uh, doing Brett assays in, in Michelle's lab when this whole revolution of Brett fret came up and people were looking at hetero or homodimers. The control experiment was IP. We don't do it anymore, not as often at least, but that's important. And I think one other, in my mind, one other important piece of information is also the fact that, and it's one of my frustrations, you cannot capture everything that has been done in a paper. Sometimes the students does something they don't even realize, or sometimes, you know, the postdoc does it and you can't, there's no space to put it down. Yeah. You know, the st- and I'm exaggerating, but the stars have to be aligned at this angle in order for this to work. Yeah. And it's, and as you mentioned, it's not about cheating or not about, you know, falsifying data. It's just, you cannot capture it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's difficult because yeah. then you read it and you're like, what, what did you do? And you repeat it and it's not working. And then you call them up and they say, well, actually. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, <laughs> then you're like oh, okay. It would have been nice to know this. Why yeah. didn't you put it in there? Oh, because we had a word limit and we had to cut it out. Yes, exactly. Or they, or they cite a, a paper. So we we have done what was done. They cite a paper and in the paper, they cite another paper and the paper cite another paper. <laughs> it's endless. And at the end, each time you have a little bit thing that change. So the, yes. our original paper at the end is, is not really what you did. <laughs> exactly. Once you do see it. Yes. Yeah. That's one of my frustrations is going like 10 papers back and being like, huh? Why have you, well, who, who thought about citing? And sometimes they make a mistake. I had my paper uh, cited in another one. And I was like, no, this, you cited the wrong paper. This is not it. <laughs> we didn't even do that. We didn't even work on this GPCR. Where does that even yeah. come from? But it could be someone that cited your your paper but the reference was not co- correct so someone read the paper and see that they cite you so they cite you so yes yeah yes. So it's, <laughs> it's endless but okay um I know we're almost at the top of the hour but I wanted also to ask so you you mentioned um you know being at the University of Sherbrooke and very early on working in neuroscience on the AT2 uh, receptor where when did you first hear about GPCRs? And before you answer that, I just want to mention that I think I think of you and all of us who have been who grew up kind of in the GPCR field as, as these people who started very early on in undergrad and then heard a, a class and then they wanted to do a, a sometime work sometime in that lab and then you just get hooked and that's it. It's like this generation of GPCR people. Yeah, <laughs> I would say is uh, during my un- undergrad. Uh, so we have some classes. Um, I think it was endocrinology classes, and where we we learn about like the the systems, the different s- systems, and most of them, and involve GPCRs. And I I look at that, it's and I say, wow, that that that's cool. Those li- li- little uh, 
machines, you know. Yeah. And they kind of they they control almost everything in the the body. This is so cool. And yeah, so I they develop an interest quite fast. So that's why I went. Uh, so in my third internship uh, in undergrad, so I went in a lab um, to uh, to to be part of a, a project about the GPCRs, and, and then I started to learn more about GPCRs, and I love it more, <laughs> right? And then and then you get hooked, and it's and and you're done because you're yeah. you're you're a GPCR person there. Oh yeah, now yeah, I just. <laughs> stick to that way like even i'm not particularly interested to specific disease um it's more about how the gpcr translate the the, the response and mm-hmm. could be an and involved in the, the the disease more the mechanistic aspect yeah so I am not. I don't say, say select the project based on the, the physiological relevance, yeah. even if I should. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's difficult because GPCRs do a lot of things in many different physiological events. So you know, and it's one way of going about it. A lot of scientists go about, you know, I'm studying cancer. Okay, and whatever is involved in that particular cancer, whether it's a GPCR or not, I'm studying that, and that's one way of doing it. Yeah, but I would say that's the wise way because when it when it comes the time to get some funding, if you if you choose another GPCR and you never publish on this one, so Mm -hmm. you if you switch to can. Uh, can- cancer like in in my case yeah. uh, so i have a project on um a chemokine receptor that is a, a expressed by by a, a, a virus and it increased the risk uh to have um glioblastoma Blastoma. if i write a grant about this this pro, pro project and i show the the data and then okay so the re- reviewer will say okay that's very cool but she doesn't have any experience in cancer yeah but i don't need experience in cancer i know well gpcrs and i know how to monitor them very well and but yeah sometimes there there is this uh dichotomy between uh the two different worlds so the people that work in gpcr would evaluate this grant as as good, okay, you can do the, this job, the, this project. There's no yeah. doubt. Where someone that is not in the field of GPCR but more specialized in ca- in in, ca- in ca- cancer will see um, a kind of um, weak weakness. Yeah, yeah, and it's again. <laughs> I think it goes back to how the system works, and it's unfortunate that the system works the way it does. The answer to the question, how can we change it? I think talking about it, but for right now, that's about it. (laughs) And if you want to change it, you have to get into the system, stay in the system, play within the current rules and slowly but surely work Mm -hmm. towards towards changing them. And, And you're right. When you're a GPCR person, you take it and you put it in any disease context. It doesn't change 
for your project, the kind of assays you're gonna run. But for somebody who's in the cancer field, they're like, why are you even like, why don't you work on some some other protein, which is way more important to them. So I think then again, bias comes in there. And we're yeah. biased towards GPCR, so we have to <laughs> admit, <laughs> admit that. We talked a little bit about, you know, advice about knowing yourself before you get into the academic path or deciding what you want to do and in what context you want to work in general um, in life. We talked mm-hmm. about the MD and non-MD path. Um, any other advice for junior scientists? Uh, I would say uh, really choose, but okay, depending if you want to be a PI or, or not. But if you want to, to be a PI, um, choose your lab where you do your postdoc extremely well. Because this will give you the, the ticket to go, <laughs> yeah. Like like the 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 papers because yeah, you sell you uh, as the the paper that 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 you have when you want to apply for a position. Uh, you have to show what what you did, see, and that is through the the papers. So you have to choose a lab where. Um, like the researcher published in relatively good journal. I don't mean like cell nature and science, but like journal that are still like respected. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to be in an environment where you know that you will have help if if, if you need to. Not necessarily from the PI, but you have a group of people like postdoc that are uh, more senior that can help you, guide you, so that that you can have a lot of support. Yeah. Uh, That you could have the opportunity to work more uh, on more than one project. Yeah. Uh, It does help to have more papers as as well. And you really have to, to love uh, the en- environment, like the group, because you yeah. will spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and there, there's a bo- bonus thing if you can have um, a PI uh, for your postdoc that is a very, very good re- researcher that like can teach you how to be a good PI. Uh, I think it helps a lot. Like I've learned so many things from Michel Bouvier, like crazy things like how to how to do things well when when you are a PI, like how to deal with your the the people in 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 your group. Mm-hmm. And the bar is super high. <laughs> yeah, I I know that a lot of things I do are wrong, and I see it now, and I say, oh no, Michelle was like that, and it worked well. So I would try to be a bit like that, and it works yeah. well. So kind of have a, a model. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's important, having that role model, and um, it's fun. Well, I, th- I think you know this, and you and I were, did not overlap. I think you know, oh, we've talked about almost. this. <laughs> we almost overlapped. And, you know, while you were kind of talking about the receptors you've been working on, I had this this image come in. I think I've been at least at one of your posters or even both the uh, the melatonin project and the vasopressin uh, V2R project. Yeah. 
yeah. at a GPCR retreat and, and I can see myself you know, like looking across the room and being like oh that's the poster I want to stop at yeah. but there were so many people all the time at your posters yeah. Yeah. um and uh you know it's it's a it's a small such a small world still yes so um top three aha moments uh as a scientist it can be anything Aha, mo- mo- aha moments yes where you were like I or I am in the right field wow I didn't think this would work but it did or anything that you feel like changed your trajectory I mean just you just mentioned having a role model like Michelle um, yeah that shaped who you are as a PI today um my god uh I know it's a tough one <laughs> I had the the opportunities to supervise a lot of uh, students when I was in Michelle's lab and I really enjoyed it a lot. So that was another thing that gives me the hint that, oh, maybe I will love to to be PI. I was like a a little mom with them, see? (laughs) And I think that I'm still like like that. I'm very... exigent um i put the bar up but again it's not because my standard standards are high that i'm not taking care of them and like nurturing them see uh tough love which is good tough love exactly this exactly (laughs) i'm here i support you but you have to pull your weight yes and I think that's important that you know this and then you set this as an expectation for your students from the get-go. Yes. Because then there is no surprises. Yeah, but at the end, it's, it's good for, for them too because yeah, they, absolutely. they will grow much more. Yes. Uh, yes. And, yes. They, and they will see like how much they are good co- compared to others. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's funny because it goes back and I like the fact that you said, you know, like a, a mom, because it goes back to parenting. You cannot do everything for your kids. No, you have to let them fall and hurt themselves. Even if you would like to. <laughs> I know, but it's it's I think I think as a mom, it's such a difficult thing to do to yeah. see that, you know, he or she is going to fall. You already evaluated that it's not a big deal. That it's not going to be a life threatening thing. So you just let it happen. But and you're there to consult. Surprise, they they could um they could su- surprise you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And they will. <laughs> and I think you have to take it yes. anyway. Yes. But there true. is something that you know you need to let go sometime. And it's the same yes. thing with PhD students and master's students. Which I found it difficult. <laughs> it is, Very it is much. because yeah, I, I tend to be an and involved a lot, and when I compared to to my co- colleagues i think i'm a, i may be a bit too much and involved mm-hmm. at the same thing i want them to grow too so i i still have to find like the right ba- balance between yeah. um supervising and i think the best way is to start when they start you supervise them like very uh a, a lot and then when you see that okay they can do things by them themselves they can start to think by themselves troubleshoot by them, them themselves you just like yeah 
And especially, yeah. especially with three years, um, you know, because the other way around is also very educative, very more difficult, you know, just tell them this is it, True. do your thing. Yes. And they will, I think they would learn depending on the person, or at least that's what happened to me in my postdoc. I learned on my own. I kind of did what I needed to do. And I was never told this is a project or whatever. You're here, yeah. you have your own funding, do your thing. And it's it's freedom. tough love. Exactly, it's freedom, but it's it's a lot of responsibility too. Um, on on your on yourself. But I think I, I think I would prefer the other way around. A little bit more hand holding in the beginning, especially that you don't have enough time. You have three years. Three years is nothing. I know it's super short. Yes. So I think I think that um, yeah. that's important. Yes. Yes. So yeah. So it's it's kind of an art to to know uh, to have the right ba- ba- balance between yes supervision and let let go. Uh, yes. That's I would say the most difficult thing that I have to face. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 far, but I think I'm I'm getting there. Yeah. Of course, and then you have to give yourself some time as well to kind of really find your voice as as a PI and know people well enough to be like okay I think this person needs this yes yes yes. and if it's more hand-holding then it's more hand-holding and if it's more freedom then it's more freedom and sometimes it's it's fruitful to go to the person and say well what do you need most of the time at that age they have no idea what they need exactly (laughs) so it's kind of a lottery and you have to test it but uh, I think it's it's really awesome you have to guess where what what they need, and you kind of with time you 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 guess it more. You see, okay, yes. that type of, of person with personality like like to take some risk or doesn't like to take some risk. So you exactly. you, you kind of feel a bit where what they need, mm-hmm. uh, which which is good, yeah. But that's that's an art, yeah. It is, it is, it is a different one. Okay. So uh, last two questions, because I know we're almost out of time. Uh, when and if you have job openings, where can people find you? Uh, Queen's University Belfast. Okay. Um, I'm, um, I work in the Welcome Wolfson Institute for Experimental Medicine. <laughs> nice. And I think you're also on social media and on LinkedIn. So if people want to find you other than on university they can uh, very, yes, very easily look you up. Okay, last question. Any fa- which one is your favorite GPCR and why? Uh, this is not fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, okay. So uh, I, a couple, it's been a couple of episodes uh, since I recorded with Andrew Tobin. And I asked him this question and he said, oh, it's hard. Can I, can I just say which phosphorylation um, motif is my favorite? And I said, this is awesome. So I think I'm going to change the question. Uh, okay. Any any favorites about receptor, G-protein, beta-arrestin, or any arrestin, phosphorylation site, you name it. Yeah. Motif. Yeah, I think um, I have more uh, interest uh, about compartmentalized G, G-protein signaling. So if you mm-hmm. have a receptor that hides somewhere mm-hmm. <laughs> and the sing- signal this i like a lot okay uh but um like f- physiology wise i i really don't care <laughs> right it's difficult yeah, yeah Mich- well, michelle's I- answer sorry michelle's answer was the same he said he said he doesn't have a favorite 
He no. is interested uh, to learn about any GPCR as long as that knowledge can be translated to a higher level into the GPCR field, yeah, which I thought was really elegant. This what this uh, this is what I should answer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but, you know, uh, endogenously uh, signaling G protein, GPCRs. I think that's also, and it, this is the first. I think you're the first one who says that. So I think I'm gonna yes. note that into my question next time. I'll, I'll add that to the phosphorylation site. Yes, yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Bianca. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I'll take care, and I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining us and listening to this Doctor GPCR podcast episode. I'd like to thank our team members, Attila Forrest, Ines Pinero, and our newest Dr. GPCR protégés, Montserrat Avila-Zozoya, and Nipuna Wirusingo. Welcome to the team, Monsi and Nipuna. Please subscribe to the Dr. GPCR newsletter, find us on YouTube, and if you like our podcast, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. You can also leave us a testimonial at drgpcr.com testimonials. Another great way to support us is to share your favorite Dr. GPCR program with your network and colleagues. Email us with any questions or suggestions at hello at drgpcr.com and please become a site member today at drgpcr.com. And until next time, stay safe.